Welcome to Amplify. You're listening to Frank Corcoran's Quasi Unamissa. And Frank features on this week's show, which is a live episode recorded on the 29th of April during the 2022 New Music Dublin Festival. As part of the Contemporary Music Centre's Ulysses Journey 2022 project, you'll hear a panel discussion on Joyce and music, which also includes composer Benjamin Dwyer and my CMC colleague Linda O'Shea Farron. Hi, hi, Here's CMC director Yvonne Ferguson, who introduces the event. Hi everyone, and you're very welcome along to this live recording of the Contemporary Music Centre's in-house podcast, Amplify. We're really delighted to be recording this episode here at New Music Dublin. Very grateful to John Harris, director, and to John Pearson on production for facilitating this recording this morning. My name is Yvonne Ferguson, I'm the director of the Contemporary Music Centre, and it is a real privilege to have this episode, which is a discussion on our Ulysses Journey project, and also Joyce's influence on contemporary music. And I'm going to hand over to our presenter, our regular presenter of the CMC podcast, my colleague Jonathan Grimes, who will introduce the guests. Thanks everybody and uh, welcome to you all. It's great to see so many people here. Thanks for taking the time to come in and uh, listen to this. Our very special episode of our podcast Amplify, live from New Music Dublin 2022. Um, It's two years since our last Amplify live podcast, which took place in March 2020, also as part of New Music Dublin, just before the pandemic, as we all know. Back then, the podcast was very much in its infancy and we were uh, finding our feet. Two years on, we produced over 60 episodes and have been privileged to bring so many wonderful conversations with composers and musicians during that short time. And I'm delighted today to bring you this conversation on Joyce and New Music and our Ulysses Journey 2022 project. 2022 marks the 100th anniversary of the publication of James Joyce's Ulysses. And CMC, together with the Centre Culturel Irlandais, are marking this anniversary with Ulysses Journey, a major programme of concerts and film screenings in Dublin, Belfast, Budapest and Paris. With me to discuss this project and aspects of Joyce's influence on music, among other things, our composer and writer, and I should say friend of this Amplify podcast, Benjamin Dwyer, and my colleague, Contemporary Music Centre Projects, Programmes and Events Manager, Linda O'Shea Farron. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much, We'll also be joined in about 20 minutes or so uh, by composer Frank Corcoran, who's currently in rehearsals for the next concert that takes place after this event. Uh, so we'll welcome Ben, or Frank, I should say, when he arrives. So just to get started, Ben, if I could begin by asking you 
Well, the obvious question to me, it might not be obvious to everybody, uh, why was Joyce such an important figure for composers in the 20th and 21st century? Well, I, I, it depends on which Joyce you're talking about, I suppose, because um, if we look at the trajectory of Joyce's writings, including you know poetry and short stories, we start with chamber music and then uh, Dubliners, Portrait, Ulysses, and The Wonderful Finnegan's Wake. But there's different types of writing, you know, it's almost a, a trajectory towards complexity and actually an increased absorption of music into um, Joyce's writing. Now that might sound strange considering the first publication was called Chamber Music, yeah? But let's start with on Irish composers. I think he's been a huge influence uh, right from the very beginning when uh, chamber music came out. The first composer to engage with it almost immediately was um, Geoffrey Molyneux Palmer. And in fact, he and Joyce um, had a long correspondence for quite a while, for many years in fact. Mm. Unusual there because Joyce was unknown more or less at that stage. But let's look at the settings. I mean, chamber music is really some, we don't, anticipate what Joyce was going to become in mm. chamber music. So it's effectively well-constructed Victorian verse and very well done, of course. And I, I guess maybe composers were immediately charmed by the fact that a writer based his book of 36 poems all on, well, not all on music, but music pervades that, um, that collection. Mm. If anything, if there's any innovative quality to chamber music, it's not really in the writing. It's in the fact that um, music is a kind of a, is one of the persona um, dramatis. Yeah. So um, nearly every, nearly, I won't say nearly every Irish composer, but many composers by Dell, Fleischmann, um, Bodley, Kogel, you name it, Wilson, the Elder. Um, lots of them, engage with Joyce, but most of them with chamber music. Mm. So there's, I guess there's a little difference between um, maybe that and the softer verse of Yeats or other Irish writers. Mm. The interesting change there for me is when Frank Corkin, who's going to arrive later, engages with Joyce on a, on a different level, it seems to me. Mm. Um, he, he's the first composer to not just set Joyce text, but to set Joyce text in the way that Joyce used text, if mm. that makes sense, yeah? In a kind of multivalent way. Mm. Um, and then after, I think, you know, Frank opened the door for composers to deal with Joyce on a different level. Maybe a, a level that's got to do with philosophy or a re-look at language, you know? Mm. Maybe through, I mean, I don't know specifically, but, you know, we're talking from the 60s, 70s onwards, Deridian deconstruction, we're getting to know about all this, and composers are dealing with Joyce through that particular lens or similar lenses. And of course it coincides with, you know, the contemporary music internationally as well, that there were a number of composers who who set on Joyce and some of those some of those things that you were talking about yeah, in terms I mean, of well, the models. Yeah, I mean the big ones would be Berio, of course, mm. with Omaggio at Joyce. Cage, of course, with Roratorio. Mm. And Boulez never set Joyce, mm. but I think he was deeply influenced by him. 
which is probably why he never said them. So he wouldn't. He was keeping his cards close to his chest. But he has written quite perceptibly on Joyce, yeah. particularly Joyce's what he calls Joyce's uh, move towards anonymity in language, where Joyce increasingly, starting with um, Ulysses and heading in, um, into the wake. He's using language less as a carrier of narrative, of story, but getting language to deal internally with its own mechanisms. Mm. And the more it does so, the more difficult it is for us to follow if we're expecting narrative verse. Mm. And I think this is very close to what composers do anyway. Mm. You know, especially uh, modernist composers of the mid-century onwards. Yeah. So I think they saw what was happening in Joyce, maybe before writers did, you know because it was close to what we do anyway. We deal with anonymity in the sense that music is anonymous. Music doesn't necessarily mean anything yeah. unless you attach it to something. Yeah. And so what Joyce was doing was actually turning language into music in that sense, because mm. it was less interested in telling a story, although it did that as well. But there'd be pages and pages of, of um, language just deconstructing, deconstructing yeah. itself yeah. and reconstruct. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Not just deconstruction, but deconstruction and reconstruction to create something new. That's what we do with notes. Mm. You know? And I have a question on language, which or we're going to, ret going to return to language yeah. in, 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 a, in a little while on, on that. And um, I'd just like to welcome Frank, ahead of schedule, uh, to, to the panel. <laughs> Very, very impressed with your um, timekeeping. Thank you for, for taking the time because I know it's a very busy morning. For Frank, he's, he has uh, two pieces, I think, that's been done. Three. Three, Three pieces, my goodness. Um, Linda, if I could turn to you, you have spearheaded this major project of music and film commissions for the Ulysses Journey 2022 project, which I mentioned at the start. If you could talk to me about these collaborations and some of the ways in which composers and filmmakers have responded to Ulysses. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, I suppose you said it yourself there when you said Joyce, uh, a lot of international composers engaged with Joyce. Um, we're kind of lucky in a way that Joyce was, uh, felt the need to leave Ireland in some ways because he went to Geneva and Trieste and then he engaged with Sylvia Beach in Paris, who was an American publisher who published his work. And that gives Joyce an amazing footprint internationally into which our journey could just course its way. Mm -hmm. And if, like, you know, another writer, maybe he had stayed more in Ireland, we, the journey wouldn't mean so much. So um, I guess uh, film, we had engaged mm -hmm. with film through musical tales, and we've done this before as well. But film travels well. So we, we did actually have a concert. We have an international concert series by Kathleen Kaltai, who's Hungarian guitarist, and Elizabeth Hilliard, our wonderful soprano, who's here today. And we did that because of Leopold Bloom. So you were hooking into Hungary through uh, Leopold Bloom. And I'm very glad to say that the Irish Embassy in Budapest has managed to get us into the Zambathe Festival, which is where the fictitious car character Leopold Bloom hailed from and therefore has the annual festival. And Ben has a work being premiered there. So basically, I suppose we had that Irish-Hungarian leg that was supposed to start, can you believe, in 2020, Bloomsday 2020, but didn't happen. So we gathered our pace. And we went on to 2021, did an online 
version with the embassy. And then we hit 2022, which is the 100th anniversary. So that's when we approached Sont Culturel Your Long Day because it was published in Paris. And so we've been engaging with partners. That's what you say. We're engaging with people. So uh, Budapest Music Centre in Budapest was thrilled on the 100th anniversary to have these films and this concert, to have this talk with Ben and me. And if Frank can get his way down, we'd love to have you as well. And basically, it's like a snowball that keeps gathering and it's intensifying. But getting the six films done in four months, that's the commissions and the recordings and everything. Mm. That was quite the feat. But obviously, with the able assistance of everybody on the team in CMC, mm. but also Jiggery Poke Reproductions and all the performers we had. And what's wonderful is that, you know, Culture Ireland supports this and we can go forward. We had partners mm. in One Dublin, One Book. So One Dublin, One Book is every April and they have republished Ulysses especially. But what they did was they have Nora by Nulo O'Connor as their book. So every April in Dublin, there's a book. So this year it's Nora. And so we basically tie into everybody else's festival and that's yeah. how our journey started. Yeah. I wanted to ask you also, uh, before I turn to Frank, uh, the, you know, the benefit of having short films uh, is that they can be presented uh, in, in not just a physical se setting, but uh, as, a, as a screening as well, on, yeah. you know, online. So, so was this a consideration for any of the collaborations in terms of how they approached it? It, it was a, a complete consideration because a concert, um, you know, on tour also has an environmental footprint. Uh, during COVID, it became a problem with audiences, with flying, with COVID test people getting it. So the films were sort of like taking all that online presentation that was happening during COVID, but turning it into something that's maybe more formal. I mean, these films were premiered in the Irish Film Institute on the 2nd of February 2022, which was the actual anniversary of the 100th publication. And they were also simultaneously screened in CCI Paris. That was Joyce's 40th birthday gift for himself and his wedding gift to his wife, Nora. So he was born in 1822. He, he had it all worked out. And so we're trying to fit in with all his anniversaries. So the films are something that it can go travel easily. Ben and I do our talk and Kathleen and Elizabeth do their concert, but they are featuring works by six Irish composers and six Hungarian composers. So yes, it's an efficiency but also it's a permanent record of this incredible celebration of Joyce's 100th anniversary of this wonderful book. And we will have those forever in our archives. Frank, you wanted to deliver a short talk that you had, had written on Joyce. So I'll give the floor to you. I, I remember the extreme wet heat awful heat of August in the year 2005. And I lectured at the Trieste uh, James Joyce International uh, Summer School there at the university. And I gave them the hard stuff. And it's very short and it's very pity. And I'm going to give it to you before my good friend Ben Dwyer tears it and me apart. <laughs> now, folks, Actually, my seven pieces are also a kind of a, a musical composition. So it it, watch my seven points, because they're moving on up to number seven. So it's symphonic. Number one, Pythagoras was the greater composer. Il miglior fabbro. Two, yet James Joyce was in many respects the best Irish composer. 
Number three, Joyce chiseled and turned and fashioned his syllables and his word units and his titles and his bits of songs, as, as would an Irish composer. He achieved his emotional, semantic, character associations and the fragments of memories which he needed in making his own sound world. Point four. If he had so wished, he could have reached highest places in his singing, playing, composing of at least leader. He chose not to. Fifth point, Nora's father, Tom Barnacle, was known by his nickname, Gobberigoni, which is the Irish Egg-Obber-Igoni, always busy. So this is Joyce's connection to the West. Anybody here from the West of Ireland? Okay. And this has to do with the native Doric of Gabriel Conroy in the dead. It has also to do with Stephen Dedalus's Lestragonian entry. Music is mats for ladies. And then the Trieste notebook of Joyce, Stephen Dedalus prefers the vigor of the mind needed in composing literature, much stronger than needed for composing music. Joyce was a great listener. But he preferred the intellectual rigor of composing words to composing notes. Number six, Ben, I better wait. This is going to be an escalated attack. In 1917, in Zurich, the Joyce family had as neighbor in the Seefelderstrasse, number 73, the composer Philip Jarnach who was the secretary of the great Ferruccio Busoni, one of the great figures of 20th century music. And actually he, Philip Janach, much later he became a president of my Musikhochschule in Hamburg. But did Joyce ever discuss the why and how of this revolution in 20th century music before the First World War? the birth of the great masterpieces of the second Viennese school. He did not bend. Had he ever asked himself why John Field was buried in Moscow's Nevinsky Cemetery, but not in Dean's Grange? What about the Scandal Concert, March 31st, 1913, at the Paris premiere of Stravinsky's Sacre? What about in the same year, the other scandal concert, Skandal concert, the, 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 the Germans call it, in Vienna, with the premiere of Albenberg's Peter Altenberg Lieder, and then with Webern's Opus 6 orchestral pieces. Now these all blew 20th century music apart. Did he discuss this with Philip Jarnach? He didn't. Why Stanford, the Irish Brahms, why did he end his days at Cambridge? But not in Dublin. Why was there no Dublin Bartok, no Dublin Sibelius? Point seven, and here I will head out the door quick. <laughs> James Joyce had an intimate 
urgent but deeply split relationship with art music and with any Irish concept of composition as an Irish art. Joyce mirrored his native city colonial inheritance in this regard. He was the perfect forerunner of our, your, post-colonial. That means non-reception, reception of Irish contemporary music, composing as an art, as an Irish art, of Irish composers on a par with poets and painters and priests and, have we got another P? I'm finished. <laughs> So, Ben, <laughs> as they say all the time, there's a lot to unpack in that. But maybe to start, Joyce, as the greatest Irish composer, how do you respond? Well, look, um, I don't think it's helpful. Yeah, I know what you mean. But maybe, well, I'm not going to try and tell you what you think you mean. But I think I know what you mean. And it is that... It's very good, Ben, because I don't know. <laughs> I think Joyce was not the greatest Irish composer, but he probably the writer who most understood music. And I'll get a bit technical, if people don't mind. If we take the way Bloom thinks to himself in staccatos, as we often do as we're walking down Grafton Street. So there's a particular type of prose related to Bloom. Then if we go across Sandy Mount Beach, we have Stephen Dedalus, and it's more unfolding. So that's a different type of prose there. And then we go to Molly, and it's completely river flowing. It's a melisma, unpunctuated. Yeah? You're doing like, the most wonderful like, very musical diversion. Like Renaissance music. So what, what I feel what you're what Joyce really is doing is he understands that there are different types of music for di different settings. Mm -hmm. And he was the first Irish writer to understand that. Also, if we take, um, you're pushing me on this, if we take Molly's speech, the great 18th uh, chapter, the great thing about the um, stream of consciousness thing is that in a way, what Joyce is doing there is completely bypassing the rules and regulations of linguistics. So he does what I think you do very well in your own music, that he bypasses rules and regulations and expected forms of notation and all that sort of stuff and goes directly into the, into the consciousness, into the intuition. And that's why you say he's Ireland's greatest composer. No, he's not. He's just emulating some of Ireland's greatest composers. <laughs> but I respect your position. <laughs> well, thank you, Ben, for the most, as I say, wonderful diversion, beautiful. Uh, I remember very early on, I was interested in Joyce, of course, a lot as a young fellow, and it was great stuff. And I felt in Ben's sense also the musical quality of it, but I never wanted to set his early, his, his chamber music or this Edwardian Victorian stuff. 
uh, at all. And I thought the great Ulysses and, and Finding Its Wake too, uh, that is untouchable. But for the 1983 Zagreb Biennale, I wrote a piece for one actor, Dublin actor, and all kinds of collages and things. And it was, it was the young James Joyce, the middle Joyce, and then the, the late, almost blind Joyce of the book of uh, Finning His Wake. And I think I called it a portrait of the artist who wanted to sing but wrote instead. So a little bit long, my title, but it, it got something. And I, I left it at that. And then years, years later, with electronic stuff, uh, I took a collage from, uh, really it's Don Giovanni, and it's Nausicaa, and it's, it's Bloom, and the whole erotic thing, and so on, and made it into my own collage of, it's really Mozart, but it's Joyce Mozart. So since then, I've, I've kept away from the good man, and uh, he's too big for me. Did you see Joyce in those years as a role model for you as an Irish artist where... Oh, I did very much, oh, very much. Silence and cunning and exile. <laughs> and I got out of here some, <laughs> some uh, years after him, but I did. I didn't head for Trieste, but I headed for east of here, yeah. What about this, this uh, notion, Ben, of the artist in exile, which is very, very much associated with Joyce, leaving, leaving Ireland, um, and indeed, you know, many, Frank, you, you, as you just mentioned, you left in the, in the early 1980s, and many composers, artists continue to, to leave, maybe not so much in exile, but... Self-exile, perhaps, as was Joyce. Mm -hmm. um, and we were just talking about this earlier on, that particular green patch can fade as well. You know, although I do um, agree in a way with um, what the Joyce said, the, the closest way to get to Ireland oh. is via Hollyhead. <laughs> and I don't know in today's global globalised world if exile means the same thing, you know. And I don't think you have to be in exile to be a great composer or a writer, you know. Um, I think we, we need to start sustaining that ourselves. Unfortunately, I think... Joyce and Beckett felt, and others felt that they had to go. I think, you know, that's not really the issue anymore. Mm. However, um, I was just, it just dawned on me as I looked around and this, and it's a great national concert hall. I mean, I've been very pleased to play here and be part of this for years, but it, I'm, I'm struggling to see an Irish artist. I see Michal Asulwan there. And I think maybe, not to point the finger at the National Concert Hall specifically, but there's a, this is indicative of a kind of an attitude among Irish institutions that I think needs to change, that we're only valuing ourselves on, on, on the visitations of foreigners. You know, that we should sort of start, this is what CMC is doing, actually, has been fighting against for years. Mm. And I hope things will change. But for me, this, is, this has been very much my story, and I'm sure it has been for many others, whether we, we left Ireland or not. Yeah. You know, 
Linda, you wanted to come yeah, in. Yeah, I'm actually five generations of people in my family who emigrated from Tipperary, Frank, oh, oh. to New York City mm. and came back, all five of us. Mm. I myself emigrated for 10 years, came back. My son is there now and grandfather, great grandfather, the whole thing. Mm. And so it's not just artists because I'm not an artist. Uh, it's and it's the Irish emigrant story is mm. a, a unique story. What the artists, the problem is, I, we can go, if you're not an artist, go and get a job, including people built the railways in America, they built everything in the UK. Uh, but when artists go abroad, I guess you're a sole trader, you don't get a job, you're sort of trying to break into that community all on your own. And I think that's just a lot more difficult. But the other thing is, it's a great Irish tradition that when you're a success abroad, they want you home. So, um, and that maybe is the story of every country, but Ireland has a particularly large, um, let's say, cohort of people who are on the move permanently. And um, I think there is a bit of a thing like that, Ben, that when you're a success abroad, we want a piece of the action. But there are great composers who never left. It's not just an exile issue. I mean, there's no reason why John Buckley and Fergus Johnson should not be on the wall here. It's 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 a kind of we don't trust ourselves. We don't believe in ourselves still, and that's yeah. institutionally embedded, unfortunately. Yeah. And this maybe bring it back to Frank, your 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 um, present presentation lecture. This idea of post-colonial and the struggles with post-colonial. Would you, would you say that the, the, it's associated or is tied in with that, Ben? Well, Joyce didn't see any contemporary music because we were a satellite of Das Land ohne Musik. Mm-hmm. Yes. We were a satellite of, of Britain, mm-hmm. which hadn't had a composer since the death of Purcell, and accused others, like, you know, Delius, of being foreigners. I mean, you know, it didn't really start, okay, Elgar, who was in a way the death of the empire, and maybe Benjamin Britten was the first. Mm-hmm. She ate no music mm-hmm. during the 200-year period of the flowering of, of classical music in, 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 um, in Europe, from right out to Russia. And we were... <laughs> <laughs> we were a satellite of that. But then, you know. um, Frank mentioned well, yeah. Stanford, Charles Villiers Stanford, as somebody who yeah. ended his days. He started his days in Cambridge. At age 18, he left Dublin, mm. went to Cambridge, and spent his entire life there. Mm. Now, he was very much colonial Dublin. He so, was. Let me say one word about exile, and I agree with Ben. There are excellent Irish composers who don't have to go into exile. But for me as a composer, I have to go into an inner exile to try and do better, get better stuff. And the three works, the three Corcoran works you'll hear up above, any of you who have the courage to go upstairs at 12.30, they're trying an inner exile to get away from myself, my past, to get away from anything I've already written, or indeed others have written, to try and extend the the borders of the musically possible. One interesting point is um, you ask about the influence of Joyce, and maybe we can include Beckett in on this, on Irish composers. And actually, I think we've engaged very well, um, us Irish composers, with the two greatest modernists in literature of the 20th century, without a doubt. I don't think Irish writers have engaged with them at all. 
actually, despite the fact that they are surfing on the high waves of the reputation of those two compo- uh, of those two. Uh, there's a Freudian, Freudian slip. slip. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I hit the table again. <laughs> but I think that's an important point. You know, this this notion of anxiety of influence. Um, we don't have it yeah. for English composers. I know there's no reason why we should. I think we have been engaging with Joyce. Apart from Mary Coslow, who, who, whose last novel absolutely tackled Joyce um, very well, I thought, and very bravely, because, you know, I'm sure her agents weren't too keen on it. Um, but I don't see that sort of engagement with, with innovation in Irish writing that much, with some exceptions. Frank, would you, would you agree with that? Or, or how have you, have you seen the whole um, world of literature and, and the spoken word in your, in your own music and, and, and how it relates to it? Well, one or two small points. I mean, I kept away from Joyce, as I told you, as a composer. I also kept away from my friend Seamus Heaney because uh, I had too much respect for him. Uh, but I could handle him through a work, Mad Sweeney, Sweeney Gelt. Uh, for speaker and chamber orchestra. So that was a kind of an indirect way of getting at him. Um, I, I remember uh, 1977, I was at the uh, Warszawska Jesień. I like the N at the end, the Polish, the Warsaw Autumn, uh, under Jaroselski, the old half-blind general uh, there, and there was a grey policeman at every corner of Warsaw. But that, that floored me, of course, and, and I, I heard the great Lutoswavsky and all the Poles. And they had, you know, they had had a dreadful history and so on. But by golly, they produced a festival. Uh, Lutoswavsky and, and friends had already had it running a couple of years. But they, they produced top stuff, you know. A whole range of them, from him down and Penderecki and the others and Kotonsky and uh, all, under most difficult circumstances, total communist uh, uh, repression and suppression, they did it. And their, and their poets and their mathematicians and their logicians, underground university and that stuff, they did it. I'm going to open the floor up for questions uh, shortly, but I just have one, one more question to, 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 to ask before I do that. And this is addressing the influence of the spoken word in music and particularly with, with yourself, Ben, I wanted to ask you in relation to your own music, why is the spoken word or the word so important for you? What drives all of that? Um, I don't know, um, and this may change in the future, but throughout the last 20 years, I've, I've always connected with, I've always connected my music to something. So I'm very um, promiscuous in that sense as a composer, as a composer. Um, you know, but like, the piece we're hearing tonight is, is, um, is in, in memoriam Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, you know. But that's because I've been meditating all my life. You know, it's, it's, you know, the last piece, Sacrum Profanum, is based on Sheila Nagigs, and it's basically a, a vehicle for me to address uh, colonialism, 
in Ireland and, and um, the role of the church and feminism. Before that, I was connected with my scenes from Crow. I was obsessed with Ted Hughes' Crow. So I'd, I mean, I didn't know, I haven't noticed that I've been doing this, but I haven't been trying to polish a musical vase. Um, and I'm not really interesting, interested in polishing a technique Although I don't think my work is without technique, that's not the point, but I'm, I'm very interested in ideas and using these ideas to filter my music through. So um, I'm sure that doesn't suit some people. <laughs> um, but what else can I do? It's, 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 that's the way I do things. I mean, I write lots of, you know, instrumental music without ideas, mm. like etudes for guitar and stuff like that. Um, and maybe I will do this more often. But yeah, language and ideas have been central to the filtering of my music. Yeah. Mm. Frank, you also write, you know, you also, you write creatively, you know. Well, and I, I, I write, W-R-I-T-H-E. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan. Anything to add to that? As a, in no. terms of... <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing, nothing. Okay, we'll keep, we'll keep it like that. At this point, I would like to invite any questions, and I know you've had your, your hand up. Um, maybe you could say who you are before you do that and then ask your question. Sure, uh, my name is Kieran Owens. I'm just wondering, um, the notion of an exile as opposed to an emigrant incorporates in it uh, a sense of persecution or prescription from the home place. Uh, and, and probably been um, uh, manifested in the banning of Ulysses. Uh, would you care to comment just on that, uh, the idea that had the liberality of the 1916 proclamation been fulfilled and the hope that it incorporated not been effectively suppressed by clerical influence, would Joyce have ever written the book? I mean, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, all the aspirations of the 1916, well, not all of them, but many just never made it because of subsequent conservative governments. Um, now, that's, what, that's why I was making the point. It's not quite the same for us these days, you know, because it's a broader world. Um, but I do think, though, once you are away, you do begin to feel exiled, even if you didn't call it that at the beginning. In fact... Um, I left quite excitedly and determinedly. It was just uh, around the time of, well, about 10 years ago. Um, yeah, the whole Celtic Tiger thing, I was glad to leave it all behind. But once you're there for a long time, it's, it can be very interesting. What does become amplified, well, I'm in the UK at the moment, in Brexit land, and, you know, your Irishness gets amplified, you know? Like, when I walk into a bar, I'm paddy before I'm anything else, before I'm a musician, Ben, a prof, or anything like that, I'm, I have to break through that. I even have to break through that among my colleagues, you know? So that can be very, very tiring because then you're fighting a battle that you're not supposed to be fighting. Now, if I was in New York, it'd be different, I think. Mm -hmm. It depends on where you are. Maybe not, I could. But so after a while, then you begin to assess. And I would say that my politics has changed in the last 10 years, having been in, in that particular country, you know? Um, I'll pass it on. Oh, um, Kieran, it's a very interesting point because of course, it ties into what I was saying about going abroad to work. So migrant 
is tends to be people who migrate to get work. And emigrant comes from that, whereas exile is really ex, you are the Latin, you're out of here, ex, and you're thrown out of here. And I think that's why, I mean, plenty of Irish emigrants all over the world feel thrown out of the country economically. And they are economic migrants. So I went to New York, I told you about these generations, but I was an economic migrant during the brain, the so-called brain drain in Ireland, and 400,000 people alongside me. But that felt like a community that was exiled, but not individually. But when an artist feels exiled because of their work, that's a very individual pointed situation that I think is very different from a regular immigrant like I was. Frank. I think you're right, Kieran. What was your point? <laughs> <laughs> that uh, the choice was essentially pushed out rather than pulled out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And did you feel pushed out, Frank? Well, I, I'll, I'll keep with Linda's point that we as artists, we, we, with us it's very special, our mm. suffering. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Which is ongoing. I, I haven't checked at the moment, but uh, yeah. Yes, question. Frank Highland is my name. Uh, I'm more a joyous enthusiast. My knowledge of music, I'm afraid, is, leaves a lot to be desired. But I was, was conscious, I've read the book a few times, of the, the, the different types of music as you go through the, the novel. And my favorite chapter is the, um, the sirens chapter. And I'm just wondering if, just from my own education, if you could explain to me, it's been compared to a fugue in music. And if you could elaborate, anyone from the panel, if they could elaborate on what exactly is happening there, because I don't understand the fugue. Uh, I leave it to Ben. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's, first of all, just one point for me before Ben explicates for you. Uh, fuga ad canonem. It's kind of nonsense. It's, uh, it's, you know, what is a fuga ad canonem? And, and what has that to do with the sirens chapter? Now Ben will answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I don't want to get too specific, but this is, your question reinforces my argument against uh, Frank. Um, in the sense that what Joyce did, he, he, he developed his language contrapuntally, which means many voices at the same time. But there, there, so if, if, you know, this, this connection to the fugue, which is in music, also many voices, although quietly, you know, quite well structured, but nonetheless voices. Um, he was using these, but he was also using visual techniques as well, you know, um, through the cinema. Um, he was innovative in so many ways. What he did was he broke down the, the omnipotent narrator, the third person, who knows everything but does not involve himself or herself in the unfolding of the, of the, of the narrative. So Joyce gets in there and breaks things up. Like I say, this is what we do in music because we can do that. We can take a phrase, we can turn that phrase upside down, we can lengthen the phrase, we can two, put two phrases on top of each other. I mean, the things that we can do in music, we can make 15 separate lines of music make sense. If you do that with language, that's gibberish. But Joyce found a way of using musical techniques to, to multi-layer his language, and that was the, the big innovation, but he was, that's why I keep 
iterating or reiterating that he was using musical techniques that are natural to us, but on more or less unheard of by the time Ulysses had appeared. So I don't know if that has answered your question, uh, because I think he does this throughout. It's not just in the, the so-called musical uh, chapter, you know. I'm afraid we're going to have to finish up this conversation. We could go on for a lot longer and uh, it's a pity we can't. But unfortunately, there are more important things going to happen. There's a concert happening with the premiere of Frank's work, which is a, uh, always a good occasion. So I'd like to thank everybody, a big thank you to our contributors for their insights. So thanks to Ben Dwyer, Linda O'Shea-Farron and Frank Corcoran. And also thanks to uh, New Music Dublin and to the team, John Harris, Jonathan Pearson and everybody else involved for uh, hosting this event. A quick uh, note to say that this is the first of two live podcast uh, events as part of our Amplify series. The second one uh, is a collaboration, I guess, with uh, George Higgs for his five uh, silent poems. So thank you very much for being such an attentive audience and um, see you again. Bye.